May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. What was it like to live with fibromyalgia and related problems a hundred years ago? We are going to go on a journey back in time about a hundred years ago to learn what it was like to live with fibromyalgia as we look at the life of Margaret Mitchell. The year is 1900. It's the turn of the century and Margaret Mitchell was born in Atlanta. She wrote the most famous novel of the time 36 years later. The book Gone with the Wind was transformed into a great film as well. Despite her success, she endured much physical and emotional anguish. Her story will likely resonate familiar and sadly for those with fibromyalgia and related issues. I plan to share her story and struggles. Her biography was written by Darden Asbury Pyron, and it gives a great in-depth look into her life. I have encouraged those struggling with chronic health issues like fibromyalgia to write down their story. As we walk through her journey, I will help break down her symptoms and physical findings, medical assessments and evaluations and treatments. You will hear in her story how much hasn't changed. Her story will ring so familiar. This understanding of fibromyalgia has greatly changed and I wish I could go back in time a hundred years ago and sit down with her in the clinic and help one educate her about what she's experiencing. The doctors did not understand what was going on at the time and it left her and her family and her husband extremely frustrated. As I've shared on a prior podcast, it's so important to write down your history. Your history of fibromyalgia didn't just start on the day you had your first severe symptom. It's likely you had symptoms that were going on earlier in life. I was interviewed on a Fighter Story podcast, and he, towards the end of the interview, had said, it's almost like you could predict who might develop fibromyalgia. And in a sense, you'll see in her story, there were a lot of things earlier in her life that predicted, that foreshadowed her developing fibromyalgia. Not that everyone is going to have this, but hopefully when you hear her story, 
that may ring familiar to you as well. Although we have grown greatly in our understanding of fibromyalgia, the symptoms and signs haven't changed, and the frustrations often ring true. You will think about how unempathetic the doctors were and how barbaric some of the practices were back then. Many of these will echo with our current poor management of fibromyalgia if you're suffering. Before we get into the details, first I just want to welcome you. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am a pediatrician and internal medicine physician and a lifestyle medicine doctor. I've been in practice for almost 26 years as a medical doctor, and I've authored the book Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. Remember that while I am a doctor, I am not your doctor, and all medical symptoms and signs should be discussed with your medical doctor. Hopefully this can be used as a starting point on your journey going from just not learning to live with, but to even conquering, to reversing, to lessening the symptoms of fibromyalgia and perhaps even getting into the level of those who are unaffected by fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia is a complicated problem that involves many multifaceted approaches to treatment and I try to weave the best of medical management with the best of lifestyle medicine to help you improve. This podcast is meant for you if you have fibromyalgia. It's meant for your loved ones who don't have fibromyalgia but want to learn and understand more so they can help you. And for any medical doctors out there who want to learn about this mysterious but often very rewarding problem to help your patients live better with fibromyalgia. Now let's dig into Margaret Mitchell's story. When we look back, we'll start with Margaret Mitchell's father, Eugene Mitchell. He had had some issues when he was younger. He brimmed with uh, resentment, and he constantly fought as a boy. He also was very small. He lacked the ease and uh, grace in social circumstances. He was really sensitive about what others thought about him, and he furiously resented authority. He ended up getting expelled from school, which had left him with a chip on his shoulder. Despite the behavioral struggles, he was arguably a genius. He loved literature. He read voraciously and mastered classical languages. He graduated first in his class at the men's private school in Atlanta. At the age of 15, he had already qualified to be a sophomore at the University of Georgia. He ended up being the valedictorian of his class and was a class poet. He, however, continued to be emotionally very sensitive, prideful, resentful, and socially reserved. Despite his success, he considered his academic years a failure. I share this because he likely had ADD, or Attention Deficit Disorder, and sounds like he had symptoms of rejection-sensitive dysphoria. I talked on that on an earlier podcast. ADD is very genetic. It's about a 50% inheritance, which that means, or autosomal dominant, what that means if you have it, there is about a 50% chance one of your children will have it. And if you have it, that means one of your parents likely had it. 
Now, this is Margaret Mitchell's father. And I bring this up because we look at this family history and we realize that Margaret was extremely intelligent and so was her father. But despite his high academic achievements, he also had this self-doubt and also had behavioral issues when he was younger. So it doesn't mean that you can't be successful, but there also are these other difficulties. As the saying goes, if a tree falls in a forest is there in the no one is there to hear it, does it make a noise? If we didn't know the word ADD back then, doesn't mean that it didn't exist. It did exist. We just didn't understand the problem. And of course, this may ring for your family history when you start looking at this. If you have fibromyalgia and are one of approximately the 50% of people who also have ADD, and some studies it was 30%, some studies it was up to 70% with fibromyalgia and related issues. But in her case, it was or appears to be that her father passed this along to her. We'll talk more about that later when we get into her story. We talked about earlier in Dr. Dodson's podcast that uh, with ADHD, intelligence is much higher than average. The average IQ is about 123. And when people who had ADD actually were treated for their ADD, the functional performance increased about 12 to 15 points on IQ testing, putting it into the upper 130s on average, which would definitely be at least in the range for Eugene Mitchell, Margaret Mitchell's father. Rejection-sensitive dysphoria occurs in about 90 to 95% of adults with ADHD. Many also have this perfectionist anxiety driving them to succeed. Many are also very creative, which fits with Eugene Mitchell's strong interest in poetry. He went on to a year of law school, obtained his degree. Obviously, the amount of training back then wasn't the same as it is now. He struggled financially as an adult during the Depression of 1893, leading him to change from his youthful, aggressive, and fighting mindset to become tighter, suspicious, and withdrawn as as an adult. Maybell, Margaret Mitchell's mother, was noted to have a special gift of laughter, and at the age of 13, it was noted that She was, too, also very intelligent. She was very analytical and expressed her ideas easily. She was an interesting talker. And she wrote of herself and said, I always have a longing for something I have not. I am am sure to be disappointed. She noted uh, trouble controlling her thoughts. Unfortunately, she died later from influenza in 1917. Her husband, Eugene, described how Margaret was so much like her. Perhaps both her parents had ADD, it's hard to say. Margaret was noted to have had a series of accidents that began when she was two and a half years old, and these recurrent accidents ended up plaguing her throughout her life. Those with ADHD that are untreated tend to be involved in more accidents. When we look at Margaret's childhood, as a little child, she delighted in competitive play. Again, something that is not uncommon with those who have ADD. She was very athletic and enjoyed rough and tumble play, which worked well due to lots of open space next to her house and many friends joining her in fun. They often reenacted Civil War battle scenes. She also played baseball a lot and was quite good. When tennis courts went up later, she took on that as well. By the time she was six, she could ride a horse by herself. She had other passions, including keeping a small zoo of animals. 
She did live through stress, including witnessing the most violent race riots in regional history when she was six. Margaret's mother, May, had fragile health and tried various elixirs, including the milk cure. It's not clear if May had fibromyalgia symptoms, but back then, maybe this was one of those cures that they tried when they didn't know what else to try. Margaret got a chance to spend her summers at a rural family homestead where she was very active. She recalled very high-energy memories. She said, we ran barefoot, rode the farm horses and mules, picked fruit, and occasionally helped with the cotton picking. She delighted in these days. Many with fibromyalgia will share similar memories of being very active in their younger years. Her mother taught that what can't be cured must be endured. That's a paraphrase of the Stoic philosopher Marcus Aurelius. The family motto was, The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to us all. When I hear the stories of what people with fibromyalgia have to go through, I think that that motto ends up being adopted, or at least attempted to be adopted. If you are struggling, you have to have this learned, I am going to have to endure this. I have to just put my head down into the wind and struggles and work as best I can to just survive, but it's awfully despairing and awfully frustrating. As we will learn throughout Margaret's life and as her fibromyalgia starts to become full bloom, she had no other choice but to have to persevere and try to battle onward. Margaret had ambivalent comparisons of herself to her mother. She would say, look at me and you will see my mother. No sooner had she asserted she made the identification than she qualified it by reciting how intelligent, kind, and attractive her mother was in contrast with herself. Again, Margaret had a lot of those symptoms of rejection-sensitive dysphoria, that negative self-talk. Her mother was a turn-of-the-century Feminists trying to give women more career options, a lot different back in the early 1900s in the mindset of what we consider feminism than uh, currently. But she says, I was not very old, and it seemed to me that if I ever got through school, which was already becoming more difficult, I should not then happily quit at all, but have to go on and on. Do I really want to be a great lawyer? Should I be happy removing an appendix? I began to feel guilty and troubled. These goals ran counter to a fundamental part of her life of the imagination. She played house and fantasized about having babies. When she started grade school, she was not interested in attending. She was a willful child. She also was shy, self-conscious, standoffish, and silent. She would hide behind her mother's skirts and refuse to talk to strangers. This shyness would provoke punishment by her mother. Her mom said she was rebellious and 
education remained a bone of contention. A friend at school called her pertiferous, always in trouble, always being sent home. She was known for shooting spitballs across the room over the years and getting punished for it. Knowing the frustrations instilled by it into her mother's, she struggled in math and her spelling was careless. She never liked school. So when we look at Margaret's early life, we hear a story of a father who likely was extremely intelligent with ADD. Margaret's born and she's born into Atlanta. There wasn't all the technology that we have now. So how did she fill her time? She kept extremely busy. She had a lot next door and she was playing. She played sports. She played imaginary um, games with her friends and they all were very physically active when she got a chance to go out to their summer um, homestead. She was extremely active and playing. That story is common for most of my patients who have fibromyalgia. Most of my patients were very active when they were younger. They, after school, might have played all of the time. Over their summer breaks might have been some of their happiest memories if they got a chance to just be outside and play. Unfortunately, nowadays, many kids who are coming up are more likely to be on a phone uh, looking at the technology and less likely to be active unless they're in a sport. Um, if you owe, many are, do get into sports and have the athletic ability to go a long ways with that, which helps them cope with their predisposition to fibromyalgia. Unfortunately, later in life, when they're not able to play constantly and be as active as they'd like, or their sport eventually ends or they get an injury, symptoms may start showing up. When Margaret Mitchell started school, she had all of the symptoms of ADHD. We talked about difficulty with behavior issues. She was hyper. She was throwing spitballs and was getting into trouble for those behaviors in school. For those of you who are listening, you probably are hearing two dichotomies of Margaret Mitchell. On one sense, you hear somebody's very intelligent and creative, yet at the same time is struggling and is having difficulty in school. In the world of ADHD, we call this twice exceptional. On one aspect, somebody can be highly intelligent, highly creative, yet on the other end have a hard time self-organizing and self-controlling their lives, which can lead to struggles. There can be that coping strategies and just natural predilection to being more physically active to help compensate for their difficulties. For people who have fibromyalgia, I've encouraged on other podcasts to write down your story. Go back in time and write this out. And you can share this with your doctor and just write in, writing down these observations will give you clues to understanding your struggles, your current struggles, and also can help identify if you're an adult and you have children, the struggles in your children. The average age for adults getting diagnosed or newer diagnosis of ADHD is now 31 because more and more adults are becoming aware of problems that they just thought were normal. We will end the podcast this weekend. We'll pick up where we left off. 
I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, please share with others, like, and follow. People want to know, how come I can't find a doctor to help understand fibromyalgia or even believe in fibromyalgia? This is a great resource for them to learn more about as well. If you would like to share any comments about this episode or any questions about other episodes, or if you'd like to share your story with me, you can email me at drmichaellens at gmail.com. Until next week, go Team Fibro.